Welcome to Paranormal Almanac. With your host, Kurt Sandvig. That's right, I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and on this edition of Paranormal Almanac, let's talk about another UFO incident that, frankly, just doesn't get enough attention. But first, as always, we have shout-outs. Shout-outs shout outs going out to the patrons. You can head over to patreon.com slash paranormalalmanac to join up for all your patron goodness. These patrons make the show. If you like the podcast, fantastic. Thank you so much for listening. If you support the podcast by sharing it and telling your friends and family, thank you so, so much. That helps me out tremendously. If you leave a review on Apple or wherever you get your podcast, that helps out the show tremendously as well, and I thank you for that. You can also, if you want to, head on over to Facebook.com. There's a Paranormal Almanac page and a Paranormal Almanac fan base page. Both are great. The fans are fantastic. I cannot thank you guys enough. And if you don't want to do social media, that's totally fine. But I'm also on Twitter as well. I don't really tweet that much, but I'm trying to get better. Instagram, you know, I've been stuck inside for the past couple of years. So there's no real good photos to be adding to the Instagram. But once I start getting out and doing more events again, I and more haunts and investigations and everything, I will gladly, you know, put stuff back on the Instagram, start the Instagram up again, however you want to heard it, word it. But the patrons, the patrons make this show, like I said earlier. Oh, also, you can head over to storeenvy.com, uh, search for Paranormal Almanac for all your, you know, Paranormal Almanac merch, shirts, hats, mugs, whatever you want over there as well. But, but back to this, what I'm trying to talk about, the patrons. I cannot thank the patrons enough. You should be able to thank the patrons as well, because like I said, if you're just doing the bare minimum, you're just listening to the podcast, which is fantastic, thank the patrons. Just listen to these shout-outs, because without them, I wouldn't have the microphone you're listening to this on. I wouldn't have the recorder that you're listening to this on. I wouldn't have the paranormal almanac ghost hunting equipment that I have for when I ever do get to go back out and do some more haunts investigations. But thank them. Thank them by listening to their shout-outs because they, they deserve every shout-out they get. Shout-outs going out to Sandy, Paige, Kyle, Sean, Deborah, Andrew, Tasha, Tasha, Scott, Andrew, Andrea, Devin, Melody, Ricardo, Vicky, Christopher, Vanessa, Marisol, Liam, Roger, Michael, Terminal Animal, Alicia, hey, howdy, hi, Derek, Becca, Elizabeth, Voidtech, Sherry, Art Muffin, Trudy, Tim, Kenneth, Paul, Ricardo, Damien and Daniel, Ian, Eric, Brandon, Jen, Alexandra, George, Connie, Seth, Jason, Cindy, Kim, Ashley, what's that, Loki, Carrie, Ezra, Robin, Will, Lauren and Phil Mangano, Russell, Donald, April, Seth, Isabel, Audra, Dorian, Cindy, Bob, the Sean Bishop, Aloha, Paula, Jerry, Leo, Scoston, Lindsay, Megan, Aaron, Amy, Jeff T, Harley, Suzanne, Joe, Lawrence, Melissa, Laura McCune, oops, sorry, Lauren Strawn, hey, howdy, hi, Veronica, Autumn, J. Mark, Manning, Carolyn, Martin, Jade, Nashi, Heidi, Chuck, Todd, Jamie, and Elijah Hendrickson, Juliana, Dan, Laura Pitts, and Gamerfan, with special shout-outs going out to Joe and his stitch, as always, my boy. All righty, well, I got a second before we get into paranormal news. I wanted to ask you guys again. I've already gotten some great suggestions. I've already reached out to a bunch of people. Again, this is going to be about the 200th episode. It's coming up soon, coming up very soon. So if you have any people that you think 
would make really good guests or obtainable people that seem to do podcasts and seem to be out there and obtainable and have social media that you can reach out to them, please let me know or reach out to them and say, hey, I think you'd be a fantastic guest on Paranormal Almanac. Have them reach out to me, paranormalalmanac at gmail.com. I want to make the 200th episode an extravaganza, a para-extravaganza. So send me all your suggestions any way you can on Facebook, on email, on Twitter, wherever. Send me all of your suggestions because I'm going to try my damnedest to get a bunch of cool guests. And if not, don't worry. It's still going to be a para-extravaganza. All righty, with that out of the way, let's get right on into paranormal news. Yes, it is. And the first story in Paranormal News, amazing bumper music, by the way. If you have, if you want to, if you're like an artist and you want to do some cool bumper music for me, please send it over. ParanormalAlmanacGmail.com. I love them. These are all listener done intros and they're fantastic. Alrighty, first story in Paranormal News. 2022 could be a turning point in the study of UFOs. That's right. Interest keeps growing and growing. 2021, there was an upsurge in peculiar, they call them peculiar sightings reported. I don't know how peculiar they are. They're just unidentified aerial phenomena or UFOs. But they're saying 2022 UAPs will get more attention from both the scientific community and the federal government, experts told Space.com. That is amazing. Possibly for the first time in decades or ever, people are looking at this seriously. They're trying to scientifically figure out what is going on. And as I've said a billion times over, I think science will prove the paranormal or the unknown. But they said, for one thing, there's a concerted effort to build UAP spotting hardware and decide where it will be stationed. This year could be a turning point in the study for them just with that alone. One major development will be UFO detection. According to Mark Rodiger, sure, scientific director of the Center for UFO Studies in Chicago, the effort to detect, track, and measure the UFO phenomena in the field in real time has recently entered a new phase. The technology has actually gotten better. Software tools have improved, and the current interest in UFOs has attracted new qualified professionals. Kurt here, professionals. Yes, that's what we need. As much as I love all of these armchair quarterback UFO spotter kind of people, the professionals are what we're going to need. We're going to need everybody. Don't get me wrong. We're going to need everybody. You look up in the sky, you see a UFO, report it to MUFON. All of those reports help, whether you think they do or not. You can even do it anonymously. Just be honest with them. Anyhow, he says, while one can't predict how soon we'll, we'll gain new fundamental knowledge about UAPs or UFOs, I believe that these efforts are like, very likely to succeed and set UFO research onto a new foundation of reliable physical data. And as a consequence, we'll have even more evidence, as if it was needed, yeah, I agree with that, that the UFO phenomenon is real and can be studied scientifically. One upcoming initiative called the Galileo Project, which will search for extraterrestrial equipment near Earth, has two branches. 
The first aims to identify the nature of interstellar objects that do not resemble comets or asteroids, like, ooh, mow, mow. Oh, I wanted to add that noise to, uh, I'm going to have to add that onto here. I wanted to add that, uh, as soon as I say, ooh, mow, mow, I can hit the push the button, it'll be like, chicka, chicka. Just in case people keep talking about it, which apparently they still are. Uh, the second branch targets UAPs similar to those of interest to the U.S. government. The Galileo Project's data will be open to the public and is scientifically and his scientific analysis will be transparent. Fingers crossed. I'm going to put grain of salt on that one. The related scientific findings would be expand, would expand humanity's knowledge with no attentions to borders between nations. Yep, sounds great to me. Uh, the Galileo research team includes more than 100 scientists who plan to assemble the project's first telescope system on the roof of the Harvard College Observatory in spring of 2022. The system will record continuous video and audio of the entire sky in the visible infrared and radio brand, <clears throat> radio bands, as well as track objects of interest. Artificial intelligence algorithms will distinguish birds from drones, airplanes, or something else. Once the first system will operate successfully, the Galileo project will make copies of itself, make copies of it, and distribute them in many geographical locations. Hell yes. I love everything about that. Let's see. They're going to say... I'm going to skip a lot of this. They go on to say currently there's a lack of coordination amongst organizations involved in UAP detection equipment, but that may change this year. Says uh, Robert Powell, an executive board member for the Scientific Coalition of UAP Studies in Austin, Texas. I believe that will improve as we get into 2022. Man, I hope so. Man, I really, really hope so. Let's see. A member, a number of SCU members are involved with the Galileo Project, and the organiza organization has partnered with several groups, including UFO Data, the UFO Data Acquisition Project, and UAPX. UADAP already has a working model that has been sold into the marketplace and is reasonably priced in the $2,000 to $5,000 range, depending on accessories desired. The system has already been used by a group known as UAPX to collect data. That's very cool. Um, it's the end of the story, but I think I want to try and get in contact with somebody from UAPX to talk to them about this project. Sounds fantastic. I don't have $2,000 to $5,000, but... You know, depending on what they would need and how big it is and how heavy it is, I would love to have something like that on the roof of my house or one of my neighbor's houses or someone I know because I think it'd be really cool. The more of these things we get out there, the better chance we have to have AI searching the skies for UFOs. That's cool. That's a cool, that's a 2022 sentence right there. AI searching the skies for UFOs. Man, that's cool. I love the fact that it's finally acceptable to search for UFOs and not have everybody make fun of you. All righty, up next in paranormal news, Massachusetts has nearly 2,000 UFO sightings, including one officially recognized as a historic event. Overall, there have been 1,884 sightings in the Commonwealth, according to the Ustacker.com, making among the top, top 20 states of UFO sightings. Massachusetts ranks number 17 in the U.S., the highest amongst New England states. California, however, has the most UFO sightings. Yeah. California, most UFO sightings in the U.S., with more than 10,000 reported sightings. It's no surprise that the state with the most UFO sightings is also the home to the annual Contact in the Desert, the world's largest UFO conference. Well, yeah, that's true. Which, fingers crossed, I will get to be part of the next Contact in the Desert. I've already reached out. If it's safe to do it, I want to be there. I, I did have to turn down just recently a... Uh, paranormal kind of con and it just wasn't safe for me to travel I mean it just wasn't I didn't think it was a good idea to put myself out there quite yet but 
Contact in the Desert, I would absolutely love to do that conference. Uh, let's see, where are we going? Let's see, North Dakota is the least amount. Come on, North Dakota, catch up. Then they talk about some of the most historic sightings, like January 1967. Uh, but, but, but I don't want to talk about all those. Those might be those might be episodes somewhere down the line. I don't want to burn through them in the uh, paranormal news. So, all right, we'll 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 say there's been a lot of sightings already. There's more to come. Let me move on to the next story. Pennsylvania among top 10 states with the most UFO sightings. Yeah, see what I'm doing? See, there's a theme to this uh, paranormal almanac or paranormal news and, and paranormal almanac this episode. Pennsylvania has once again climbed a high-ranking spot in yet another top 10 list for UFO sightings in America. According to Stacker, that same thing, Pennsylvania has recorded a total of 3,517 UFOs flying somewhere over the Keystone State. Pennsylvania's own version of the Roswell incident came in about 1965. This one I can talk about because I've talked about it a number of times. It's obviously the Kecksburg incident. And if you don't know what it is, listen to that episode. I don't think it's a patron exclusive, but it might be, in which case, listen to that episode. Become a patron. Let's see. They go on to say they've been a long topic of discussion amongst conspiracy theories. However, recent admissions of the U.S. government. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We all know that. UFOs are real. We all know that. Uh, and that's about it for this one. It goes on to kind of do the same stats as the other article about, you know, California being the biggest, the best, and the, the brightest for UFOs. Alrighty, up next in paranormal news, I'm cruising through this as quick as I can, I promise. 2021 is so weird that big UFO news went totally over our heads. Is the potential reality of extraterrestrials too overwhelming or too frightening for our human brains to absorb? Well, maybe. I think I want to talk about uh, Mao. See? Could have done it again, twice in one episode. Uh, they went on to talk about the Galileo Project, which I just talked to you about. But they also go on to talk about a lot of the stuff that science is going to be doing. And that, again, kind of like that other article, 2022 is going to use science to prove the paranormal. Man, I hope so. That's about it for this one. I, I want to skip ahead. I want to keep going. Um, there's a lot more to that. Maybe I'll post that one up on the, um, on the Facebook fan page, but I do want to keep going because this one, next one's a weird one. And it was written by a number of different, um, sites or they might've copied each other, but the headline is UFO expert thinks aliens would love true leader Queen Elizabeth. A UFO expert thinks aliens would absolutely love Queen Elizabeth. Journalist Nick Pope, who investigated UFOs for the Ministry of Defense, has given his thoughts on what extraterrestrial beings would make of the British royal family and suggests, well, they might have mixed feelings. He says, I'm not sure what aliens would make of our monarchy, but they'd probably wonder how this mighty institution got itself bogged down in gossip and scandal. That said, I think they would look at the queen as a true leader. Boy, this is ridiculous. That's about it. That's about it. I just, I just couldn't believe that. Not only could I not believe that that was a headline, what I really couldn't believe is... Every one of these, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine websites, news sites that regurgitated this crap all have the headline misspelled. It says UFO experts, things, not thinks, things, aliens would love true leader Queen Elizabeth. Not one of them stopped for a second and went, you know what? I think this is misspelled. We should probably fix it. Nah, post it anyway. But finally, let's get out of paranormal news. I do want to talk about UFO Festival 2022, because there's been some updates on the planning of events for the 75th anniversary of the Roswell incident, UFO Festival, and Galacticon. 
This year's UFO Festival commemorates the and celebrates the 75th anniversary of the alleged UFO crash outside of Roswell in 1947. Volunteers, organizers, and the city began their planning for that special right after last year's festival was over. On January 18th, they met at Roswell City Hall to discuss the next year's festival, which again, I would absolutely love, love, love to be part of. They said that due to the pandemic, Galacticon 2021 was moved to November of 2021, that they said that Galacticon will join UFO speakers and vendors at the Roswell Convention Center. Yep, I definitely, definitely, definitely want to be part of that. They go on to say, I anticipate the 75th anniversary will be the largest attended yet. I was involved with it since 1997 for the 50th anniversary, which was big, and based on current visitors, the pandemic doesn't seem to have affected people coming to Roswell. I'm happy for that. Researcher Don Smith from Wisconsin uh, and others have worked together for the past 25 years doing research, and they said they have a whole lot planned for the 75th anniversary incident at Roswell. Let's see. They go on to say, ask if the events throughout the year and during the festival be more serious or entertaining. He says it'll be a combination of both. We'll have something for both the scientific researchers and philosophers, and we're still going to be able to celebrate our quirky and fun side of that incident. Our big festival, obviously, will be July 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, but we're having different little things throughout the rest of the year. It may be an event out in the community, but there will be a lot of events. The next meeting, if you guys are in the area in or, you know New Mexico or around Roswell, the next meeting of the planning committee is planned for February 1st, 1.30 p.m., Roswell City Hall. So there you go. And that focus on that meeting will be on vendors, organizers, businesses, volunteers, everything else. I am going to, again, put myself out there to say, hey, I would like to be at this event in whatever capacity, a speaker, doing an event, a vendor, whatever it will be, I would really, really like to be at that event. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Paranormal Almanac. We are back, and on this edition, I want to do a deep dive on a UFO encounter that happened in 1980. But before I get to that encounter, really... We have to talk about a death connected to it. You'll see what I mean in just a second. Both of these stories involve one man, though. His name is Police Constable Alan Godfrey. But the story starts with a different man, a man named Zygmunt Adamski. Now, Ziggy, as he was called, was a 56-year-old miner who went missing from his home in Tingley near Wakefield on June 4, 1980. Now, he just went out to go buy some groceries, but didn't return. His wife started getting more and more concerned, obviously. He was reported as a missing person. A search went out for him, and nothing was found until five days later, his body is found on top of a 10-foot-high coal pile in the town of Todd Morton. That's about 20 miles from his house. Now, this is where Alan Godfrey, that police constable, gets involved. So now we're all caught up to both men. So, Alan Godfrey gets sent out to investigate the body. He gets there and he notes that Zygmunt is wearing a suit, but his shirt, wallet, and watch were missing, and his clothes were said to be, quote, improperly fastened. Stranger yet, Zygmunt's hair had been cut in what Alan described as, quote, a roughly cut manner, and the coroners would later determine that Ziggy only had one day's growth of beard despite being missing for multiple days. 
already bizarre. His wife said, yeah, now that wasn't his hairstyle. He had, you know, longer hair. I don't know who cut his hair into that fashion, but it wasn't like that when he left the house. He only had one day's growth of beard, despite being missing for multiple days. But then it gets even weirder because Alan also notices then, and it was later confirmed by the coroner, James Turnbull, that Ziggy had strange burns on his neck, head, and shoulders. And even, unidentified to this day, an ointment on those burns. Now, forensic scientists could not identify the strange ointment no matter how hard they tried. That's in the police record. That's everywhere. That's not just like some like shock websites version of the story where, and then a mysterious ointment was on the burns. No, there was a mysterious ointment, a strange ointment on the burns. Now, some sites say it was like a green goo, like ectoplasm, but no, not from everything I could find out. Now, he goes on to say, Alan, that is, goes on to say, the oddest thing was that there was no coal dust or dirt on his body. He looked as though he simply lain down and died on top of that pile of coal, having left no sign of how he got up there. His clothes, to me, suggested that he'd been hastily redressed after death, but it was the look on his face that shocked me the most. I'll never forget it. He looked like he'd been scared to death. All right, let's pause right there for a second because, yeah, sure, he might have been mugged or something like that, but there would be signs of how he got onto a 10-foot-high pile of coal. It wasn't like he was dropped. There was just a 10-foot-high pile of coal. He's laying on it, wearing a suit, no shirt, no watch, no wallet, haircut in a haphazard or whatever they call roughly cut manner, with burns on his neck, head, and shoulders, that weird ointment on there, but no coal dust or dirt was on the body. That's bizarre. That's really bizarre. All right, so there's many theories online of what happened to, Z- to Ziggy, including that he might have been killed by the KGB. Why? No idea. I couldn't find anything that said because he was once former Russian, blah, blah, blah. No, nothing. He was maybe possibly a spy. Nope. From everything I can find, he was just a regular old 56-year-old miner that that happened to. So why they mentioned the KGB, I have no idea, but it's brought up a lot. Another theory says that he might have been struck by ball lightning, which caused him to wander off confused and eventually die at the top of the coal heap. Okay. And now you might say, well, he's a coal miner, or he's a miner, so he, he knows where the coal piles are. No, remember, this is 20 miles away from his house. From everything I could find out, this was not a place that he ever went to. Why he ended up there? No idea. Uh, let's see, what other things? Oh, his wife, Lottie, initially suspected her husband had been kidnapped. Nothing really ever came of that. Police said they had no leads, no nothing. The most popular theory, though, as you might be able to guess from what I talked about at the beginning of this episode and what this episode is called, alien abduction. That's right, that a UFO was involved in not only his disappearance, but his reappearance and death. Now, like I said, no matter how hard I could search, I couldn't find any records of where Ziggy was, how he seemed to be somewhere and shaved for a couple of days before he died. No hospitals were ever found that admitted him. The police were like, he had to have been at a hospital They searched all the hospitals in the area, and none of them recognized the photo of Ziggy. Still no one knows who treated his burns with a strange ointment. It was literally like he left for groceries, then found on the coal and not seen in between. 
All right, so big start off to this story. Yep, it's a huge mystery. What the heck happened to Ziggy? Still a mystery to this day, but the story keeps going. Because like I said, it's two stories both connected because of police constable Alan Godfrey. So for that, we move forward in time to November of 1980. Same year, just a few months later, November. During the early hours of November 29th, 1980, Allen was out patrolling the Panines, I have no idea, in the rain following reports that a herd of cows had broken out of their pen and were on the loose. By 5 a.m., Allen said, nope, I can't spot the cow. I didn't see the loose cattle. Nowhere. Now I drove all around, couldn't find the loose cattle. So he was heading into Todd Morton Town Center for one last sweep before he just kind of clocked out. So he's driving around one last time. He passes by a bus. He notes that we're filled with workers. He notices the time. It's 5 a.m., so we have a time frame right now. He passes another cop on the street. He actually slows down and offers that policeman a ride back to the, uh, to the station, but the cop declined. Allen later said, how I wish he would have said yes. It would have been priceless to have another officer witness what was about to happen. All right, so he drives past that cop, drives past the police station to turn right and head to his house when he said, something caught my eye. It was several yard, several hundred yards ahead of him. Sorry, several hundred yards up the road. Now, Alan later said, if only I'd had a mobile phone on me at the time so I could record what I saw, it would have been a lot easier than 40 years of trying to explain it. He says, I thought it was a bus at first, but I remembered I already passed the early morning service, and as I got nearer, it very clearly looked nothing like a bus. It was completely blocking the main road, a huge metal object hanging in the air about five feet off the ground. I'm going to repeat that. A huge metal object hanging in the air about five feet off the ground. He says it was diamond-shaped, about 20 feet wide, 14 feet high, with what appeared to be dark paneling across the top upper third. My headlights were shining off the side, and if I had gotten out of the car and thrown a brick at it, it would have gone bang. This thing was metal is basically what he's trying to say. It's going to be important later. Why I'm keeping, keep saying the word metal. It's going to be important later. The whole bottom half was spinning in an anti-clockwise direction, which was kicking up leaves and dirt beneath it. I just sat there in awe staring at it. Next, my training and five years of the force kicked in. I put my, my blue flashing lights on, flipped on the hazards, and attempted to radio control room. Unfortunately, though, the radio wasn't working. It was being, like, blocked or something. So he pulls out his sketch pad and he drew the UFO that was right there in front of him. Now, as he's drawing it, he says a brilliant, bright white light suddenly flashed, blinding him in an instant. The next thing he remembers is he's not stopped at his car with the, you know, blue flashing lights on drawing the UFO. But instead, he's now driving along Burnley Road. He said... I was about 100 yards on the other side of where the thing was that had been hovering. There was a strange, tickly, electric feeling about the place. I turned around and went back to the spot the object was hovering. Now, the road surface beneath it was bone dry. Everything else was glistening from the earlier downpour. In the dry patch, leaves, twigs, and small branches laid in a swirled pattern. It was a very peculiar. Now, rightfully, he freaks out and he drives straight to the police station. And, of course, since this is 1980... No one believes him. The other cops didn't believe him at all. They started joking and calling him Captain Kirk, which is, you know, kind of a weak 
joke. But, um, you know, Alan gets kind of fed up and he just goes home. He says he reported for his next shift and he was called in to see his inspector because it turns out three other officers from the Halifax division also reported seeing strange steel blue lights at 4.49 a.m. Now, I will say, depending on where you get your info, some sites say these three officers had that UFO experience several days earlier, but most sites seem to think it happened the same night as Allen. I personally, from what I can find, I think that these cops did have their sightings days before Allen. But either way, there are three other cops all independently having the same experience that Allen had, even if it was days before, in that same area, multiple cops, multiple police officers. As you guys know, I do think that when it comes to military and police officers, when they have an experience, they're more detail-oriented, detail-noting of those experiences, especially this guy, Allen, who's actually stood there drawing the freaking thing as he's looking at it. So I think I do give him more credence when it's other police officers. All right, Alan said, but I was just so relieved that I wasn't the only Bobby to report strange sightings on the tops. I wasn't going mad on my own. He said I was delighted to have corroboration and thought no more piss taking from that lot. Now, Alan has since gone on to try and find other witnesses. And he did. He actually found other witnesses. This witness, uh, Leonard Smith was another police officer. He also reported seeing a large spear object rise into the sky and on the same night as Allen. So another cop, same night, same thing. Then another witness was found in 2014. Because again, Allen's not letting this thing go. He keeps searching. He's still searching. He's still talking about this incident. And why wouldn't you? If you saw a UFO that close, that bizarre of an incident... You should be talking about it 20, 40, 30, whatever years later. But this other one, this other witness from 2014, his name is Bob Coates. Now, he was a bus driver who passed the same spot as Allen at 4.55 a.m. on the same night. And he shared a similar story of leaves and twigs circling in a whirlwind. All right, back to the police station. We're going to stay in the 1980s, even though that last uh, uh, witness from 2014, Bob Coates, he said he didn't see the UFO, but he did see that exact same dry patch with the leaves and the twigs circling in a whirlwind. So something happened on that spot before, during, and after Alan's encounter. Alrighty, so like I said, back to the police station, Alan bosses agree to let Alan tell his story to the local papers. So it appears in the Hebden Bridges, no, Hebden Bridge Times on December 5th, 1980. Now, at the time, Alan said, I treated it as a bit of a laugh. I thought it could do no harm. Now, the report was picked up by one of the UK's top UFO academics, Jenny Randalls, and the story went wide, which, good, because we all need to know about these kind of stories. But remember, it's 1980, so sadly, it really affected Alan's career and his life. But again, I don't want to jump too far ahead. So, um, Ms. Randalls, a scientist and former director of the British UFO Research Association, actually read Godfrey's story in the local paper, immediately launched an investigation. In the article, she later wrote it for a, like a UFO magazine, she linked the mystery of Ziggy to Alan, and that was like the first like piece of the puzzle when everybody started going, crap, that's right, I forgot that he 
investigated Ziggy. So she's the one who kind of put those two puzzle pieces together first. And um, Alan, well, he eventually appeared on the front page of the Sunday Mirror and became worldwide news. He was on chat shows, TV shows, documentaries, radio, you, you name it. Whatever he was able to give an interview, he did. And he did it a lot. So trying to figure out what had happened in that quote-unquote missing time from when he was drawing to when he was driving again, they said, you should do hypnotic regression sessions. And he did. He said, they put me under and I just started shouting, Jesus, the light, the light, I'd been blinded. Now, Professor Robert Blair and Dr. Joseph Jaffe were both experts in the field of uh, hypnotic regression. They treated him on three different occasions in Manchester. He met uh, Dr. Jaffe for the first two sessions, both of which were filmed. I can't find them. I'm sure they're on YouTube. But he will say that even though he started shouting, Jesus, the light, the light, I've been blinded, he described being carried aboard the object, or UFOs, where he met a strange, quote-unquote, biblical man. That's a very odd description, a strange biblical man. He said how he was carried or maybe even floated into the UFO, saying with him was a group of child-sized, large-headed creatures working alongside the bearded human. Now, he's pulled out of the regression because he started freaking out, and he says he's very skeptical of his own accounts during those sessions. And I will say that I kind of I kind of like that about him. That even though he didn't know what he was going to say, he says he doesn't remember saying it when he was under. He's even saying, I, I don't know about that. That's just a little bit too weird. That just shows that this guy is very police-like. That he's, he's trying to skeptic, be a skeptical believer. Kind of like me. He's trying to be a skeptical believer. I guess it's the best way of saying it. And I really kind of respect that about him. But like I said, his life kind of took a downturn. His marriage took a downturn. He, his career took a downturn. He added, I have absolutely no idea what I was saying, if they're true, if they're fabricated memories, or if they're a collection of stories all, mothered, all muddled together as a result of hypnosis. But he left the force in 1984. He was offered a way out because of an old injury. So he's like, yep, I'm out. He had an exemplary record on the force. It wasn't like he was drummed out of the force or anything. Uh, he worked, uh, he went on to work as a butcher, security guard, but sadly started drinking heavily. He said up to a bottle of whiskey a day and his marriage broke up eight years later in 1988. Uh, and then, then in the nineties, he said, I was rock bottom. I was living it up. I ended up living in a friend's bedroom. I'd lost everything. I had no money. I parted from my first wife. It was Christmas. I couldn't buy the kids anything. I remember lying face down on the floor thinking there's no point in carrying on. Then suddenly I thought, right, enough is enough. Get a grip, you daft bugger. And that's what I did. I got myself a flat, met Kath, and she sorted me out. He's very adamant about this next saying. I wish I'd never seen the UFO, particularly because of the effects on my children. It's not easy having a policeman as a father, but when he's a policeman who saw a UFO, it's worse. Yeah, that that is really kind of sad. I'm glad that he kind of got his life together. He even wrote a book about the incident. Still says that he believes what he saw. He doesn't know what it was, but he believes what he saw. He says, but I do often think about that night and what would have happened if I'd turned right up into the estate and not carried along Burnley Road. My life would have been very different. Would I have reported the incident if I'd known what would happen? Probably not. In the 50 years time, if we discover aliens have been visiting us and we didn't know about it, 
then that might have given an answer. However, he says, I know what I saw. I'll never forget it. Since then, the UK's Condine Report, released under a Freedom of Information request in 2006, confirmed unquestionable atmospheric events occurred that are not yet, that are not yet fully understood by modern science. Boy, it's a tongue twister for me for some reason. They say events that some believe could be what witnesses like PC Godfrey have experienced. We need to properly study if natural phenomena in the ground can push waves of energy into the atmosphere, which then creates physical phenomena that can be seen and can be felt. And that also creates energy that can stall car engines, interfere with radio transmissions, and potentially trigger physiological actions in those that get too close to it. People could actually suffer a terrifying experience which is in an altered state of consciousness where perceiving what they're seeing, but also having a stimulated hallucination that is packed on top of that. Yeah, they're trying to say <laughs> that unexplained atmospheric events can explain what happened to everyone in Todd Morton. Remember, it's not just Alan, and it's not just Ziggy. If you want to say like, hey, who knows what happened to Ziggy? That was bizarre. That was weird, but we don't know if it was aliens. Cool. Let's take him out of the equation for a minute. Four cops and a bus driver all saw something. Three out of the four, or the four cops, not the bus driver, actually saw a bright light in the sky, a metallic object. Remember, metallic object. I don't know. I, I really, I just don't know. But these people, this UK Condine report says... The surrounding 20 miles of Todd Morton have had, have had more UFO sightings than any other part of the UK, with up to 100 sightings a year. So I say to them, all right, cool. Can all of these really be explained by some weird atmospheric event that we don't know? How is that possible? How do you explain the metallic UFO that was witnessed? It gets weirder, folks, because, because of Todd Morton and other incidents like this, a neuroscientist named Dr. Michael Persinger, he investigated the effects of pulses of energy, magnetism, and electricity on humans up to and including out-of-body experiences that happened during UFO abductions. That's right. He actually created an electromagnetic helmet for participants to put on, and he dubbed the thing... The God Machine. So, what happened? Well... I'll tell you. Don't worry. You don't have to look it up. I'll tell you right now. I'll keep going. Don't worry. The podcast isn't over. So what happened? Well, he tested it on people. 900 people, in fact. Here's the bizarre thing. Many did have interactions with religious figures, including the Virgin Mary, the Prophet Muhammad, and Jesus. And of those people that weren't religious at all, well, they had experiences that may may being the appropriate word here, may compare to alien abductions. He actually got some results from this thing. He also hypothesizes, uh, hypothesizes, sure. He also hypothesizes that other environmental disturbances like solar flares, meteor showers, even oil drilling probably correlate with visionary claims through history and could be the cause of mass religious conversions ghost lights, haunted houses. He's trying to use science to explain. I give him credit for that. But he's also going the extreme saying 
that if a region routinely experiences mild earthquakes or other causes of changes in the electromagnetic fields, this may explain why the spot becomes known as sacred ground. He even thinks on, on a bunch of sites, he says this, that when Joseph Smith was visited by the angel, whatever, before finding Mormonism, or when Charles Taze Russell started the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Leonid meteor showers were occurring both times and could be the cause for this. Yeah, I, I know. He, you got to go down this weird rabbit hole to get here. Uh, look, I could go on and on about his research, and it is interesting, but it's just that. It's just a theory. I watched a bunch of videos of people trying the God helmet or telling about their experiences wearing the God helmet. And yeah, they did have some weird sensations and some weird experiences, but none of them took it off and said, I clearly see a UFO with aliens in it. It's just weird. I think that if you pump enough electricity into a person's brain because they're wearing some helmet and it's got magnets and, and electricity just being pummeled into their their, you know, their, their temples, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, their temples. That's how it works. You know, you pump enough crap into a person's uh, temples that they're going to start seeing and feeling and, and having weird sensations or weird hallucinations. But, and I, you know what? I can actually, I'll even go a little bit further because there are people that get nauseous before earthquakes. So yeah, people can be sensitive to elect electromagnetic disruptions. People can, you know, They'll walk into a place, and if there's like that Faraday cage kind of a thing going on in there, if there's a lot of electricity, maybe by like a, a, a power box or whatever, that they can feel it. So, sure, I think that there is a possibility that it can affect a person, but I, I personally don't think that it's case closed on what happened to Alan Godfrey or to the other thousands of people that have had, you know, experiences with UFOs or alien abductions or any of that stuff. It definitely doesn't explain what happened to Zygmunt. I don't care. I don't care how many meteors are above him. They don't take someone's shirt and wallet and shave them for a couple of days, burn them, put ointment on them, and then just, you know, release them back into the wild, but dead without a shirt. Not like, I, I don't look Again, I appreciate when science tries to take a different approach or pseudoscience, if you will, takes a different approach to try and prove stuff. But an experienced police officer saw something metallic. He not only saw it, he drew it. He had detailed parts about it. It was diamond shaped. It was 20 feet wide, 14 feet high or whatever it was. It was five feet off the ground, dark paneling on the upper third, you know, like, they're very specific information. I didn't see anybody that put on the God helmet that wrote down in those kind of details that stuff. Plus, what did ball lightning hit him when he pulled into a stop and that's what he saw? No, he saw a dry ground underneath with leaves and stuff twirling around. Was it an electromagnetic vortex? Eh, I don't think so. Because again, he described metal. I'm going to beat that into the ground. I really do truly think that this is one of the best, not really well-known, it's kind of well-known, UFO stories of the last like 40, 50 years. Four cops, bus drivers, all not connected to each other, all having the same, essentially the same sightings or after sightings. Something happened 
in Todd Morton or whatever the name of the town is. Yeah, Todd Morton. I think I got it right. And I'm sure that's not how you pronounce it. I'm sure it's like Toot Morton, but whatever. For the uh, the dumb American host of this podcast, Todd Morton. Something happened to those people, definitely happened to Alan, and it really, really messed up Alan in his life. I feel bad because if that happened this year to him, it wouldn't have been a big thing. People wouldn't, I mean, yeah, people would make fun of him a little bit. That's not, I mean, there's still people that'll still make fun of people for having a UFO sighting, but it wouldn't be so detrimental to his life. I really don't think it would have been the same. He would have saw it. He would have investigated it, found there were other witnesses. He would have been able to, like he said, he would have had a cell phone on him so he could have recorded it. I think that would have been the biggest thing is for his own peace of mind, not to mention a dash cam and everything else. But in 1980, with what he had on him, excellent. And if it was in America, if he was an American cop, he would have been shooting at that UFO for like until he emptied the clip on his gun, you know, emptied the magazine on his gun. He would have been shooting repeatedly. So... You know, good on him for not shooting the the UFOs or the aliens. What do you guys think? What happened to both of these guys? Do you think they actually are connected besides the fact that, you know, that Alan was a cop that investigated Ziggy? Do you think they're they're connected? What is the possible explanation for what happened to Zygmunt? Was he tortured? Was that it? Did they take off his shirt and, like, put electrodes on his nipples and his back and shoulders and neck or head or whatever, his temples? Do you think, like, that's, they were, that he was tortured? And that's why they like shaved his head and the, and the goop was just, you know, stuff to make him zap even more like a seemingly innocent guy with no connections to crime had a seriously like bizarre mafia style kill kind of a thing. But how did they get him to the top of that 10 foot high coal pile without getting coal on him or them? Like there's so many questions, way more questions than answers. It's a bizarre one though, right? And again, if you take that one out of there, if you want to say, nah, I don't think that's paranormal, and you take Ziggy out completely, what happened to Alan is unexplainable. In my opinion, the poor guy saw a UFO, and he's still kind of suffering the consequences of it. Another cool one. I like these different ones, these specific ones, not these huge lists. I like, you know, as much as I like doing the lists, I do like doing specific stories, and these stories... As connected as they were, I loved. Oh, one more question. Would you try the God helmet? If this guy, this doctor, this neuroscientist, Dr. Michael Persinger, gave you the chance to put on the God helmet, this God machine, whatever you want to call it, would you do it? Because it doesn't sound comfortable from everything I could see. It sounds like, you know, you're getting a lot of electricity. You're getting basically uh, electroshock therapy, but with a motorcycle helmet on your head. You know, you pump enough jolts of energy into somebody, they're going to see some weird shit is what I'm saying. But would you try it? If you knew it was safe, if you knew you wouldn't, like, piss yourself and, you know, forget your name and, and you know, cry every time someone uses the microwave. Like, if you knew it was safe, would you try the God helmet? I think I would. I, I think I'd give it a try. Why not? Maybe. I don't know. I'd have to see what it's like. I'd have to have someone do it before me. I wouldn't be the first guy in line. I'll put it that way. Alrighty, once again, I hope you guys enjoyed this one. Once again, I'm your host, Kurt Savick. This has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac. Welcome to Paranormal Almanac. With your host, Kurt Sandvig. 
Peter of Bobastel, and my bag of the glass and my